Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Joel Bryce, and welcome to another episode of Delta Waterfowl's The Voice of the Duck Hunter podcast. On today's podcast, I'm joined by waterfowl biologists from the state of South Dakota and Nebraska to discuss an experimental duck harvest regulations package that will roll out in both states this upcoming fall. The premise behind this experiment is that duck identification serves as a significant barrier to those considering taking up waterfowl hunting. For the experienced, experienced hunters listening to this podcast, myself included, you likely take for granted the ability to properly identify a duck in flight prior to harvest, all the while following the law and adhering to species-specific bag regulations. Rocco Murano from South Dakota Game, Fish, and Parks and Matt Garrick from the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission will walk us through how their two-tiered duck harvest experiment will remove the barrier of duck ID for some and hopefully lead to an increase in waterfowl hunter license sales in both states. Hey, guys. Hey, Joel. Hey. Welcome. I, had, I gave myself a mouthful of things to say there from the beginning. <laughs> but hey, such is the burden of trying to bring things across clearly. So hey, Rocco, I've known you for a long time, all the way back through you know Central Flyway Waterfowl Technical Committee meetings. You're a super smart, uh, super personable guy. Matt, meeting you for the first time, uh, always fun on a on a Zoom platform, on a podcast here, but but welcome. Rocco, I'd like to start with you. We want everyone to get to know who our guests are so they can relate to you a little bit better. Rocco, why don't you tell everybody, just give us a couple minute introduction of, of who you are, where you're from, things like that. Yeah, you bet, Joel. Thanks for having us. Uh, so basically, I, I'm uh, born and raised in, in eastern South Dakota and here in the Huron area. Um, Always had a passion for you know, prairie ecology, water birds, waterfowl, uh, duck hunting. I'm an avid duck hunter and goose hunter. Hunt just about anything that you can in the state. Um, as far as, as kind of my professional background, I, I attended South Coast State University for both my undergraduate and graduate degrees. I worked on uh, a, a duck banding project for my master's degree actually up in Canada, looking at um, configuring traps to make them more efficient at capturing ducks um, for the banding programs. Um, after that, I've had various jobs. I uh, worked for Pheasants Forever. I uh, worked at Game Fish and Parks in South Dakota as a, as a, a private lands habitat, uh, kind of a restoration biologist for a number of years. And about 10 years ago, I took over the reins as the senior waterfowl biologist um, in South Dakota, where I, you know, I, as Joel said, I, I serve on the Central Flyway Technical Committee, also the Prairie Pottle Joint Venture Technical Committee, um, kind of head up the, the waterfowl um, and wetland research uh, projects in the state and, and uh, duck regulations in general. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, just a, a South Dakota guy that got lucky and, and landed his dream job. So. Yeah. Stating the obvious, you've spent your most of your life in South Dakota. So it's obviously a great place to be. Yep. Oh. Yeah. South Dakota is great for, uh, you know, obviously great for, for uh, waterfall hunting. So it's the middle of the duck factory, um, Prairie Pothole region in the eastern half of the state and, and uh, kind of the Great Plains in the west. And, and um, all those areas produce waterfall in different capacities. And, and it's, a, it's a really diverse, wonderful place to live. Yeah, you have a, a really important job, Rocco, and I really appreciate your passion and, and commitment to the resource and hunting. And I think this podcast discussion is really just an extension of that, of, of your passion for hunting and the future of waterfowl. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's when you think about managing waterfowl, you know, in, in school, you're thinking about managing just just the, the birds themselves or the or the animals themselves. But when, when you get out into the field, you realize that you're really managing hunters and and, uh, 
and uh, honestly, in this in this day and age, we're, we're trying to re recruit, retain, and, and reactivate hunters, um, especially waterfall hunters. Uh, well, you know, we'll go through some of this throughout the podcast, but we obviously see a decline in waterfall hunters throughout the flyway and the and the country, and specifically in the in in uh, South Dakota, Nebraska. Yeah, we'll definitely don't lose that thought. We'll get there for sure. Matt, let's switch gears. Tell us who's Matt Garrick. <laughs> so yeah, I was uh, <clears throat> I was uh, born and raised in. Uh, New Zealand, actually on the other side of the world, I moved to the States when I was about 10, lived in Colorado for a while, and then uh, finally ended up in Iowa, which uh, is where I ended up going to starting my uh, wildlife career, getting into um, undergrad at Iowa State University. Uh, and then I kind of did a few different research jobs, went to Alaska for a bit, and then I uh, ended up down in Texas uh, where I did my master's uh, studying pintails. Uh, I was I was kind of collecting pintails along the coast and looking at how their uh, nutrient stores change during winter. Then um, from there, I kind of bounced around a bit, some more kind of all over the country, went to Alabama for a while, spent some more time in Texas, Alberta, Illinois, and Nevada, and then I finally kind of landed a more permanent job in, in Iowa working in the waterfowl program there for the last three years. And then I uh, just recently actually got hired here in Nebraska. So I just started here in February. So I've uh, been learning a lot, but uh, yeah, that's like, like Rocco's kind of been my dream job, what, I, what I've been wanting to do. So um, yeah, and, and obviously I'm uh, pretty passionate about kind of it's pretty much what I live for, but I also, uh, also try and chase everything around when I can get around to it, as long as it's not interfering with duck hunting. <laughs> there you go. There you go. No, that's awesome. So you have a, definitely a, a learning curve ahead of you specific to Nebraska, but you know, as you've shared very well, traveled, very knowledgeable, but again, I suppose, you know, a few months on the job, several months on the job in Nebraska, it's learning the ropes. Hey, I got to point something out here. You said age 10, you moved from New Zealand. Yep. You, still sound like you from new zealand that is amazing how quickly that's, that's in in life uh, i've had, i've got a very americanized accent if, if you had heard me when i straight came off the, the plane people tend to have trouble understanding what what you're saying so <laughs> it's americanized enough that people can understand that's good that's good awesome well that's really cool well pleasure again to have you both on here so Rocco you mentioned R3 so that's the recruitment retention and reactivation of hunters of all types but today we're talking about duck hunting usually when you talk about R3 we the, the context is that the that hunters are in decline that the future of hunting is uncertain and we want to you know uh, reestablish that pathway into hunting now before we get too far what is the license sales trajectory or trends, let's say, as it pertains to waterfowl hunting in both states? Rocco, why don't you go first? Sure. So, you know, flyway wide for the central flyway, we've lost about 20% of our duck hunters since the late 90s. It's a little more steep of a decline in, in some states like Nebraska and South Dakota. We've lost about 50% of our, of our duck hunters in the same time frame. Um, roughly, you know, a little over 2% a year, or it, it, it averages out to about 500 duck hunters um, per state per year. And, you know, that's significant and that's not sustainable. You know, if, if that was a, a wildlife population we were managing, we'd be, we'd be concerned about it. <laughs> and, and we are, and that, and that's uh, not only for the, of course, the, the license sales, but just for the, you know, the political support for wetland and, and waterfowl conservation, um, just having folks out there that care about this stuff. I mean, that's important for, for all of us going forward. And also just having, 
having people, you know, out there enjoying the resource, appreciating nature. Um, you know, if, if people aren't out there in a wetland looking around, nobody's going to, nobody's going to care that it's even there. So um, that's, that's a big deal for me, you know, and, and of course the, there's always the, uh, you know, North, the North American model of wildlife management is, is based on contributions from hunters um, paying for habitat and the less hunters we have out there, the less habitat and conservation and monitoring we can, we can do. Yeah, that's really, that's really significant. You know, when I, I think it's easy for me to picture a big city person saying, I don't have time to travel three, four hours out of town to go hunting, but South Dakota, North Dakota, we're talking, you know, some of the best duck hunting anywhere. Nebraska has just fantastic um, sporting opportunities as well. And to see declines in those areas. So Matt, Rocco kind of spoke umbrella for, for both states there, but can you speak a little bit to the decline in Nebraska or, or I yeah. shouldn't suggest there's a decline. It, it is pretty much the same as uh, South Dakota. We've, we've lost about 50% of our hunters since for, for the last about 20 years. So um, they're very similar trajectories wow. between <laughs> Nebraska and South Dakota. So, okay. So that leads us to what we're talking about here. We're talking about an experimental duck regulations package where you're trying to remove a barrier. So just kind of planting the seed of where we're going, duck ID has been shown to be a barrier. What are some of the other barriers that have been listed? Or, or maybe why don't you back up? I understand you guys did a, a survey of hunters where you tried to have them rank their barriers to, to actually taking part. Can you give a little explanation? Who was surveyed? What were the questions? What were the answers? Yeah, I can, I can speak to that, Joel, real quick. So we, we've done a number of surveys really over the last 10 years asking these, these kind of questions. And, you know, we've asked current duck hunters. Um, we've asked lapsed duck hunters. We've asked, you know, folks that are, are hunters or anglers but have never duck hunted. And we, and we kind of get similar, similar results almost no matter who we ask. Um, so obviously, whenever you talk about barriers to participation, um, there, there's, it's all across the board. You have travel cost, um, you know, places to hunt. You have the, the regulations themselves, duck identification. Um, and, you know, but when you, when you look at something like that, at least from an agency standpoint, we have to focus on what we have control over. And we, you know, we don't, we can't control, you know, your kids are in too many activities or, or, you know, that you have to drive six hours to duck hunt, but what we can control are regulations and we can also control access. Um, so those are the things that we, that we focus on. And, and those are some of the things that, that hunters and non non duck hunters, um, identify as barriers are places to hunt. Um, and, and then also some of the regulatory complexity and the ability to identify ducks in flight are definitely identified as barriers. Um, and then when you look at what we have to control, which are basically access and regulations, um, then you have to look at, well, what's the scale of application, you know, and Obviously, we, we always focus on access, you know, whether it's acquiring property, leasing property, creating better access to existing property. Um, but the scale is, is pretty small. You know, you're, you're chunking it away one place at a time. When you're talking about something that impacts the entire you know, universe of folks that, that can hunt, you know, regulations affects everybody. Um, so if we can re, you know, re, reduce or remove any regulatory barrier um, to participation, we certainly want to do that. 
I, I applaud you guys for, for that. I remember Rocco sitting in a meeting with you and, and other biologists up and down the flyway. And it, the question was, what's the number one thing that each one of you as biologists could do to impact the future of hunting? And I remember to a person, it was all regulations is about what we can do as, as state biologists. Mm-hmm. We can impact regulations. You're right. So that's, that's pretty amazing. So it, for those that maybe aren't well-versed in this subject, or, or hopefully there's some listeners here that are new to waterfowl hunting. But as waterfowl hunters, there are there's a bag limit, a total number of ducks you can harvest in a particular day. And then inside of that bag limit, there may be some ducks that could make up your entire bag and others where you can only harvest one or two. So those are species-specific bag regulations. Now, the best way to follow the regs is to be able to identify a duck in the air before you harvest it. So there's usually some leeway where you can harvest a bird and identify it in hand. But at some point, you need to be able to harv- identify birds in the air. And that has been, that's a real impediment. I spend time, you know, with my kids, with, with new people to hunting. And it, it's funny, probably all three of us, you can see a duck way off in the distance. And you see the silhouette, you see the wing beat, you see where it is you know, a certain duck may not be present in a particular area. So with all that, it's just second nature to say, oh, that's a blue wing. Oh, that's a mallard. That's a whatever, or the square tail of a wood duck. But when I do that in front of people who are not waterfowl hunters, they just say, how in the heck can you figure that out? And because on, if you, if you, if you over harvest one species and you do have your bag checked, there's a great chance you're going to, if you get caught that you're going to get fined. And that I can see, right? That could see be a real, real barrier. Matt, what are your thoughts on that? Is that something that you feel is is definitely a, a significant barrier? Uh, yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, no, it's de- definitely see that being a barrier to people. At, and even I, I know when I first started duck hunting in the U.S., there's a lot more species here than there is in New Zealand, or basically just got a couple in New Zealand and. Uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know all the species that were out there. Um, I was basically just trying to learn myself. So yeah, it's definitely would be, is it, I mean, it is a barrier to new people getting into the, um, getting into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well then here we go. I've I've kind of buried the lead on this one, but first I want to say that the credit for this idea goes to Mark Ratiska. That's correct. Right, Rocco? It does. Yeah. That's been a long time. (laughs) 10 years ago, I want to say I, Wow. And, and Mark or Matt, you're the new Mark, right? Mark's at University <laughs> of Nebraska, Lincoln. He's on vacation today, sitting on a beach, so he couldn't join us. But this, I do want to give Mark the credit for this concept. He's always been very progressive when it came to, to R3 and the future of hunting. So Rocco, can you explain to me this two-tiered duck harvest package? What is it? I've heard some call it the three splash, which maybe kind of gives away something, but what is it? Tell us about it. So yeah, so the whole the whole idea behind this is to is to give hunters that, that currently are comfortable with their duck identification and want to take advantage of all the harvest opportunities that you know our species and sex re- restrictions currently afford, that they can continue to do that. But then for folks that perhaps either don't know their ducks or they're just they're just happy to go out there and shoot three ducks of, of any sex or species, they can have that choice when they when they actually purchase their the register for HIP or in South Dakota, they purchased their married birth certification. Um, you would, you're going to make a choice and you're going to say, I'm going to be either tier one or tier two. Tier one is going to be the normal bag, the normal framework where you have you know, a six duck limit, um, all the 
all the species and sex restrictions that, that are applicable to that year, if you choose tier two, you're just going to be able to, to harvest three ducks, any species, any sex, any day of the season. And um, so basically it's a, it's a win-win because the folks that, that, like I said, are currently comfortable with regulations can continue to participate in the same way they always have. But if they have somebody that perhaps that they want to take hunting, it's not experienced, they can take that person with them or even a, even a, a kid, a kid can take advantage of this as well. Um, they can take those, that person with them and not have a, a fear that they're, that the person that they're mentoring is going to, you know, violate. And I think that's going to be a potentially a big deal, um, for both the mentor and the mentee. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's a really simple, basic experiment that's going to go on for four years. We're going to see if we can detect a change in, in, in the R3, you know, recruitment, retention, reactivation. We're going to do, you know, basically demographic information on, on the hunters to see who we're, who we're potentially recruiting. Uh, we're also going to be taking advantage of, we're going to be looking at, at harvest, um, makeup of, of the, those folks that, that do choose the, the second tier or the three duck tier. We're going to be having them actually sending wing envelopes to Matt and I, we're going to go through those bags and we're going to see if we can compare if they're any different than for, at least than the first three ducks that folks shoot in the normal bag. And also see if we can um, detect any changes or any problems in, um, you know, those species that have special restrictions like canvasback, pintail, scop, hen mallards. We're going to be looking at all that and see if, if there is any undue impact on those species. Okay. So there's a couple things that I want to back into, but I think we're going to ride the wave here and we're going to move ahead and hopefully we have people's attention. So I, I think we can jump into how are people opting into this? How, where do they get the choice? Because that's important. So, so the harvest information program the last Delta podcast, we talked with Brad Bortner about the whole HIP program and what it does and how it's important. So you guys chose to use the HIP certification process as the entry point where someone decides if they want the three ducks, you know, the three splash or, or the full yep. the full bag uh, limit. And so the moment is, and, and I like this, I think it makes a lot of sense why I try to invent a whole new process. So if you're going to hunt migratory birds in any state and every state that you choose to hunt in, you have to HIP certify. So you buy your license. If you say you're going to hunt migratory birds, you then go through a series of questions and you have to get a receive a HIP number, right? And is it at that moment, somewhere in that moment where you say yes, you get the choice? Correct. Yeah. At that moment, you'll be prompted to choose one or the other. And it'll be, it'll be, ex, you know, explained as far as what your choice is. And then once you make that choice, that, that binds you for the rest of the season. So you can't choose, you know, day to day what you're going to choose for a daily bag. So once you choose you, that is your daily bag for the duration of the season. That's the season. Okay. That, that's really interesting. And so the other one is residents and non-residents alike. Correct. So the residents that makes, that's probably more self-explanatory, but a non-resident who, hunts elsewhere when they come into either of your states matt is that right that you know they buy their license they choose the three or the six and they can do either yep it's the same process uh, all non-residents have to hip certify as well so they'll they'll see all the same the same questions and options that a, a resident would so okay wow so i guess here's the other thing guys and and, and so much about life is communicating and marketing you know, what we do, what we want, decisions and, and actions that we'd like to see. So I can see an avid hunter who says, I'm going to duck hunt. 
I hunt every year and I can see them going through this hit process and being hit with this. Oh, wow. I can choose. That makes a lot of sense to me, but what are, what's your approach to make non hunters or prospective new hunters aware of this? Because if they think duck identification is a burden, they're not even going to get to this process. So you have to, you must have a big communications campaign, making people aware that they could try duck hunting without the burden of identification? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're going to be, you know, and we are in the process of, of kind of a multi-pronged education and outreach effort. You know, we're going to do directed emails to non-duck hunters, but maybe they currently have a fishing license or a, a big game license or a small game license. You know, in the research that we've uh, done with it, with human dimensions, you know, those folks are probably our, our biggest target audience or folks that already enjoy the outdoors, but just don't duck hunt or have never duck hunted. <clears throat> anyway, those those folks also identify that duck identification is definitely one of the reasons that they're not duck hunting. Um, but they also say that they would think they think they would enjoy it, but duck ID is a barrier. So we're going to be directly marketing to those folks. We have the information on our website where, you know, we're doing outreach like this. We, you know, we're, um, we're going to be doing new, we, I believe we've already done news releases. We're going to be doing multiple releases up until the season starts. So we're, we're trying to get the word out as much as we can. Yeah. Like I said, it's about getting, you know, one of the wraps on hunter recruitment programs is that it's typically if you want to, if you do a first time mentored hunt, typically, I guess the, the rub is that, or the reputation is that hunters advertise to hunters. And so who you have coming to your recruitment hunt is a hunter and, 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 you ha- and really to change those who attend, or in this case, participate in your, in your two tiered regulations package, you have to get this idea out in front of a different audience, completely outside, yet at the same time inside, because let's not, you know, someone may have tried waterfowl hunting in the past and had a negative experience, you know, didn't really appreciate that early season hunting where a lot of brown ducks and it's, it's tough to see what's going on there. So this is exciting. Delta's just so you know, guys, we're hitching our wagon to help you with this. You know, we're going to write an article in our magazine. We'll get this podcast pushed out. You know, we'll use our social channels to help you out in any way we can. So I think that that part, I think we've it's, it's going to be introduced to people as they purchase their hunting license in your states. Now, let's, let's back up here. And I think I think if if someone I would guess there's yellow flags popping all over the place going, wow, if if species specific bag regulations are so important. And some ducks, you can only harvest one or two. Why is it OK? And we'll confine the conversation to these two states. Why is it okay to potentially harvest three of them every day? So we so, actually did we actually did that uh, scenario analysis basically with the with the current parts collection information, and you you can kind of do a worst case scenario. You look at the bag of of a let's say an average hunter in, in South Dakota um, on years where we have you know two pintail. What, what's the probability that a hunter actually gets two pintail? And it's a very low number. So if you extrapolate that out and say, okay, for every hunter that got harvested two pintails, we'll say they automatically will harvest a third under this, under this scenario. And, you know, per 500 hunters, you're talking less than 50 pintails um, in the state. So it's, it's per 500 hunters recruited under this two-tier system. So it, at least uh, at least in the analysis that we've done, that's that's what we're anticipating. Now, that's also why we're doing the parts collection um, to monitor harvest and to make sure that, that is the case. Okay, so Matt, 
you know, like Rocco said, you know, gave, I think uh, Jake Bouchaw, he's Delta's R3 coordinator. And again, like, like I said, before we started here, we, he was a Nebraska employee and his job was to help push out this two-tier harvest program. And so I was sitting with him earlier and he said something like, yeah, Joel, he said, less than 1% of hunters had two, when, when you could have two canvas backs, it was something like less than 1% of hunters actually had two canvas backs yeah. in their bag. So the idea is, is that, yeah, it's, it's going to be insignificant because so few people are, are participating at the, at the max bag limit. Um, so Matt, where, where do those data come from? Like I just, the, the stat that Rocco cited and I just cited, is that, are those hip derived information? Yes. So th those are from the parts, parts collection survey. So when people register for hip, they can be randomly selected to participate in the parts collection survey where they submit wings and, um, yeah, so that's where those estimates come from. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I just love it, right? You know, you, you have such such a robust data set, you know, and, and this great experiment. And so, Rocco, you said you're going to keep tabs on this. So, we, again, the last podcast, we talked about the, the diary survey where hunters log their activity and just general harvest. And then a subset, they get the, the, the wing envelopes. And so you, you're able to keep it tap tabs on hunter effort, hunter harvest feeds into the models. Hip. Are you going to, are you, is every hunter going to receive the diary and, and the wing surveys? Yeah. So at least initially in South Dakota and, and I believe Nebraska, um, every, every person that chooses that second tier is going to be mailed a, a diary, a harvest diary, envelopes, and then also we're going to be mailing everybody a, a Central Flyway uh, duck identification booklet um, just to help them, um, you know, help them initially if they have no idea, if they want to learn. We want, we certainly want to make sure that if people want to learn their ducks, this might be an avenue for them to do that as well. Um, so yeah, so every hunter is going to get that and then we're going to be able to, that's the, the other part of this is it's nice to use HIP as your sampling frame because we can directly compare apples and apples with what the federal, you know, the feds are already doing with, with the, the normal parts collection survey, we're going to be able to directly compare those apples to apples. Everything is going to be identical down to the, the font on the envelopes. I mean, it's, it's going to be very, very similar. So this is a four-year experiment. Yep. It's a, it's a minimum of four years. Um, and then we'll be able to reevaluate, you know, if, if we're going to be able to go operational or, or per, perhaps other States will want to try to jump in as well and do their own evaluation at that point. You know, like you, we talked about the, you know, the, the, the concern about harvest of species of concern, it, it, it's going to change depending on where you are in the flyway. You know, it's it, South Dakota isn't Texas or isn't, you know, California, Louisiana or Maryland. I mean, it's things are going to be different no matter where you're at. And um, yeah, I, I foresee potentially other states wanting to do this and doing their own evaluations. So was it probably a fairly complex process to be able to even be able to conduct this experiment. That was probably years in the making too. Can you, can you talk about, I think it would inspire confidence in the system, you know, that you can't just flip a switch and run some experiment. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So this, like you, like you mentioned, this is uh, kind of a, a thought that Mark Vertista had back in, I believe 2014. Um, and I, you know, I was at that meeting and, and he brought forward this two-tiered uh, proposal and, and the tech committee certainly was, was on board and uh, right away he asked for states that might participate. And I guess I was an early adopter back then, but um, so I, I had a high interest back then, but um, the, so the Center Flyway Council then approved it. 
which is a kind of a board of directors for the council. And then it goes to the Fish and Wildlife Service for approval. And at that time, um, the Fish and Wildlife Service said that, that it certainly had, had merit, but there were some other priorities on top of it that needed to be completed before. There was some other you know, considerations of, of Mallory HM revisions and things like that. So uh, we had to wait for that to be done and it took a long time. And so we revisited at kind of at the appropriate time uh, a couple of years ago now and brought it forward to the Service Regulations Committee, which is SRC is the acronym for that and uh, brought forward an evaluation plan, kind of some of the things we've discussed here today a little bit, and they approved it. And as a kind of a pilot with two states and, um, you know, with the, with the thought that depending on, how, on the outcome, we'll see if, it's, if it warrants um, either flyway expansion or, or greater. So are there discussions, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining with such an emphasis on R3 right now and the future of hunting, there must be other states really keen to see the results or how this goes, right? That's the impression we get is that everybody's kind of waiting to see how it works and see that, you know, also the, the overhead administratively, you know, there's going to be a burden for that. And, and to see if we actually do recruit, retain, or reactivate duck hunters um, to what level, um, how the harvest data shakes out. Um, yeah, people are waiting to see, but I do anticipate that if it, if it comes out positive for, for R3, that other states will want to do it. Matt, what do you think about uh, hunter satisfaction? I just I'm kind of throwing a just a flyer at you here. I just there always seems to be this satis moment of satisfaction when someone harvests their bag limit, you know. And I think you know there has to be, you know, I would imagine that a bag of three ducks, hopefully, you know, you know, someone can reach that limit faster and 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 find that satisfaction. Did you guys talk, think at all about the satisfaction aspect of this package? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not super familiar about that. I don't know if that's been talked about um, extensively, but I mean, yeah, it, it, just from thinking about it, I, I think it makes sense that if, if people have a lower bag limit and reach three, their, their bag limit of three birds, they're going to, yeah, like you said, feel more satisfied that they've had a successful hunt. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so that's definitely something that we're going to be looking at on the back end, Joel, is we're going to be looking at folks that chose this and we're going to be looking at, you know, their demographics. Are they currently a duck hunter or are they, are they new to the sport? And we're going to look at things like satisfaction and we'll be able to parse that out. So we'll be able to say, hey, you know, your average, let's say, You'd be surprised just me anecdotally how many people that I know that duck hunt are saying that they may do this. And, and the, it bears out in the surveys that we've done up to roughly 20 to 30 percent of current duck hunters in South Dakota said that they would strongly consider using this regulation option if it was available. So it just in and of itself, and those are current duck hunters. So that, that's likely in their mind, you know, that it's going to increase their satisfaction going out there and being able to either you know, maybe they're just happy with three ducks. Maybe they don't want to have to ID ducks. Maybe their eyesight's failing them. You know, there's all kinds of reasons why a current duck hunter would want to use this. Um, so we're certainly going to be looking at satisfaction to, for really any, any suite or cohort of, of hunter that chooses this. Okay. When we're talking about other states, I suppose there's a possibility that harvest data would reveal that maybe this isn't a great package for their state. Do you like you mentioned Texas, you know, maybe redheads on the coast or California pintails. Is that part of the discussion too? 
Yeah, I mean, it naturally, whatever ducks are are present and kind of the the hunting dynamics of that area are going to influence, you know, your, what folks have in the bag. And if what folks are seeing almost exclusively are ducks that have a species restriction, there could, yeah, there there could be an issue there. That's why I would assume states would want to do their own evaluation to 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 bear that out. Okay, okay. One of the neat things that you know, so you start off with three ducks because you're you're uncertain of being able to identify them causes you anxiety about breaking the, the, the law. And, and so obviously there's going to be that feedback mechanism of I harvested a bird, I identified it in hand. And I would imagine we're going to see some number of people that will come in under three and then graduate to six because they'll develop that confidence and the ability to identify ducks. And I'd, I'd get my hand slapped if I didn't talk about Delta's duck ID book, you know, that we, that we created with the U S fish and wildlife service. That is a in hand duck ID guide harvest that, that whatever duck species you have and the key will step it down to you. And it's, I, I can see where that would really work. Uh, you know, just that, that time. And I think within four years, you're going to have plenty of time to see if people do graduate. That's a, it's a beautiful amount of time that way as well. Yeah, churn rate is, is one of the primary things we're looking at. That you know, just folks going back and forth. Um, we we didn't want to make a requirement that folks graduate, but that's certainly almost an ideal situation, right? Where where somebody decides, hey, I want to duck hunt. Year or two, they're they're kind of getting their legs underneath of them and learning ducks as you shoot them in hand. They have their booklet with them, um, using online resources, whatever you want to use. And then let's say year three or year four, you say, yeah, I think I, I'm confident and I can do this. I mean, that's that's kind of the perfect scenario. You know, while it's not required, that would, that cer- certainly will happen. Okay. I, I think we'd really beat this one up pretty good. Is there anything that you guys would like to add? Next steps, things that people should look out for? So, I mean, at least in South Dakota, you're going to be seeing a, a lot of information coming out about this um, two-tiered experiment. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be starting in, in the fall 2021, 22 uh, duck hunting season. And uh, yeah, I, I, we're going to see how it works. Nobody, you know, this is one of those things where it's never been done before. So we, we just don't know how this is going to work, but I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful based on the human dimensions work that we've done, that we're going to see some, some good adoption and some good use out of this regulation option and, and hopefully get some good, some uh, more duck hunters out in the field. Okay. And you said Rocco, that, that people will be presented with this opportunity. What July one or yep, July one in South Dakota. Yep. And then Nebraska, Matt is, August? August 1st. Okay. And so then the duck seasons, just to give in case people are interested in traveling to either state, when does your duck season roughly open, Rocco? It'll be, it's the last weekend in, in September. That I top of my head, I think it's the 22nd. Youth season's the 11th and the 12th. Um, okay. That's September. Yep. How about you, Matt? It's around the beginning of October. Youth season's the first, first weekend of October. And then every kind of week after that, we have different zones opening. Okay. Okay. Well, I think, you know, we, we talked about this on the last podcast with Brad Bordner, how important it is for people to, to go through the hip certification process. If you're a waterfowl hunter, click yes. You absolutely need to click yes. Don't click no, because you think it's a pain in the butt or you think it's going to, you know, it's the government's way of seeing how many ducks you have in your freezer or things like that. It's really, as you can tell, it's really important. It's how on one hand, it's how we uh, estimate hunter effort, hunter harvest. And in this case, this is the entry point. This is the fork in the road. Do I want, what regulations package am I going to choose? Boy, I got to back up a second. 
law enforcement. That's so maybe quickly talk about law enforcement. So you're out there with three ducks, you're out there with six ducks. You know, obviously law enforcement professionals are going to be well-educated and well-versed on this. What, what role are they going to play? Well, so, the, oh, yeah, go ahead. Matt. I was just going to say, as far as uh, being able to enforce it, it's going to be tied to their hip number. It'll be pretty obvious whether they're a tier one hunter or a tier two hunter, uh, because a tier one hunter will, their hip number will be T1 dash and then their number, whereas a tier two hunter will be T2 dash and then their hip number. Um, so, and then as far as law enforcement, it's just the same as any, I mean, checking other hunters, um, prior to this experiment, I mean, everyone has to know what, what their ducks are that they harvested. So you're going to just continue to, to monitor hunters harvest. So. And that is one question that we get a lot is, is can, can folks of separate tiers hunt together? And absolutely. I mean, I, that's, that's the point because we're trying to get, um, especially in a, in a mentored mentee or, you know, experienced, inexperienced type scenario, you want, we, we want those folks to, to be out there with those most more experienced hunters, you know, help them out, help them learn how to duck on, help them ID ducks, um, you know, and, and also give the, give the experienced hunter kind of some, some cover, you know, you don't have to worry about the folks that you're taking violating. And that, and that is a worry. Uh, and, and as far as, you know, different bags for different folks, I mean, that, that happens right now, you know, as far as, you know, with species specific restrictions, you know, bag reassorting happens now, it shouldn't be any more of an issue with this system. Okay. No, that, that, I think that's important. We don't want people to, to have any anxiety heading into the field. We want them to be very comfortable that they're, you know, that what they've selected, they'll be judged accordingly. And Matt, that's a good point that you brought up there. Their, their hip number will reveal which tiering they chose, the three or the six. So I guess all that's left is to get this experiment underway. And I really appreciate you guys taking the time here. Again, I guess the call to listeners here is to, you know, if you end up in South Dakota or you end up in Nebraska, you know, go through the HIP process, look forward, you know, to being part of an experiment. This is exciting. It's, it's exciting times in the world trying to attract new hunters. COVID, um, I would say, you know, we've seen an increase nationally in, in hunting license sales last year. And I think we all attributed to COVID. Basically, COVID gave people back time. Um, but time is going to, it can't give us that time back permanently, right? The world is going to take off and be chaotic again. And it's going to require innovative solutions like this. And, and, and some people hopefully find this to be an exciting opportunity to give hunting a try, kind of like apprentice licensing and all the different aspects of, of hunting and really appreciate it. So guys, I'm sure listeners can find you on, you know, a search on your respective websites, but I do want to point out that we have a dedicated uh, email for this podcast, podcast at deltawaterfowl.org. And you know, if you guys have, if anyone, listeners have questions for either Matt or Rocco or myself, podcast at deltawaterfowl.org, and I will sort out those questions and, and give them. So again, appreciate it, guys. Any closing thoughts before we wrap this up? No, just thanks for having us on and getting the word out and really excited about getting this experiment going and seeing if we can get some more hunters in the field. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Joel. Yes, guys. Absolutely. If there's any other help that we can provide, let us know. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Joel. All right. Thanks, guys.